your Bibles with you, I want to invite you to uh, open up to um, Hebrews chapter 11. We are breaking in today to what is commonly referred to as the Hall of Faith. And we're really going to pick up our pace here. I intend to cover three verses this morning. <laughs> You're kidding. Yeah, no, really. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm hoping that we're able to grasp uh, what God has for us in, the, in this introduction. And but I want us to understand why Hebrews 11 is here, you know, and what is the purpose? What, all the things we've been looking at and all the things we've been studying, what is it that, that God, through the writer of Hebrews, is calling us to? And it, it would seem to me that the way the Lord is directing us, we can find, if we just back up a few verses in Hebrews 10, verse 34, just as we take a look at what God would have for us, it says, For you... The writer speaking to the Hebrews, For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession, an abiding one. As, as uh, the book of Hebrews is challenging us, I think it's calling us to be risk takers, people who live their lives out in a way that's really going to make a difference for God. That we are are called to be his witnesses, not just one of us or two of us, but all of us. When the Lord gave the great commission, he didn't give that commission only to the disciples, right? He told us, go therefore, making disciples of every nation, take the word and go. Share that word. And what do we see these guys doing? I just want to remember, remember where we're at. I told you that they would come in and they'd arrest believers. And they didn't feed them. You go to jail today, you get three hots and a cot, right? It might be bologna, all three hots, but you get three hots and a cot. But then you didn't. You didn't get none of it. If you needed food, somebody had to bring it to you. If you wanted a blanket, something to sleep on, somebody had to give it to you. Somebody had to come and take care of you while you were in jail. Being in jail wasn't the, the government's job to take care of you in those days. It was your friends and family. But if you were arrested for being a Christian, what would it mean when somebody showed up and brought you food? And do you think the authorities weren't watching? Hey, it's easy. Let's arrest one Christian and the next guy who comes to feed him, probably a Christian too. And you had to make the decision. I can either go underground and and, uh, just take care of myself. Or I can spend my life. And what the writer of Hebrews tells us is they did. They spent their life. But he tells us why. It wasn't out of some obligation. It wasn't out of some, some craziness. He said they spent their life because they believed they had a better possession. Better than their stuff. Better than their property. Better than their loved ones. They had a better possession and an abiding one. One that lasts. One that doesn't fade away. 
I, uh, I am fighting currently against winter. <laughs> now, I know, I'll be the first one to admit I like snow. But I'm done. And so, to proclaim my doneness, I rode the Harley this morning. And somebody told hey, nah. And somebody was out there doing a rain dance to see if they could get it to rain. But when I got that, when I bought that bike, you know, it was all pretty and new. Pretty snazzy. Probably one of the snazzier things I've ever bought. Didn't take me very long to scratch it. Didn't take me very long to put a dent in it. Just happens. You know, that's not my treasure. And that's not my abiding hope. That's just a tool to be presented into the hands of the Master to do whatever work He has. And sometimes God gives opportunity for us to utilize our things as a, as a, means, to, or as a means from which we can minister to others. And that's okay. And it's okay to have stuff. Just don't let your stuff have you. It's just stuff. These guys had a more, a more valuable possession than all their things. That's why they would go to the jail and themselves be plundered. Because they had Jesus and He was the biggest treasure in their life. And if He is the biggest treasure in your life, you find out if that's true when something like this happens. What does it say they did? They endured it how? Joyfully. Isn't that crazy? They endured it joyfully. Joyfully they thought, man, this is awesome. We have this incredible, this incredible gift. We have this incredible thing that, that uh, we have. We have the opportunity to lose everything for the name of Jesus. And they counted having Him more valuable. And so I believe the book of Hebrews is challenging us, even today, in the in the middle of the wealthiest nation on earth for the same thing. To happily spend and be spent for Jesus Christ. Because this world we live in is not a great world, is it? A little while ago, I, I came across an article. It was about Robert Sippel. He's a, he was the head of World Vision. And the interviewer was asking him if he ever gets depressed. You know, World Vision, they, they go around the world uh, just helping out different areas when things are really difficult or really hard in those areas. So they asked him if he'd ever been depressed. He said, you know, in 1991, I went to Romania. And we found 200,000 children being warehoused in orphanages where they never were touched by a human being. And he said, I, I thought that was... The worst thing I had ever seen. So we attempted to to help these children in Romania. And I felt that way until I went to Somalia. And they said in Somalia, 75% of children under five die. And he said, I had to watch them before I could get help here. I had to watch these kids perish 
And I thought that was bad. Until after Somalia, I went to Rwanda. And he said in Rwanda, in six weeks, more people were killed than four years of Nazi-occupied France. And he said, I thought that was the worst thing I'd ever seen until I went to Bosnia. And I watched the evil that men do to one another as they tortured one another and the horrible things that he saw there. And he said, yeah, I get depressed. Because after Bosnia, that's a long time ago, guys. That just says nothing about the Sudan. It says nothing about Syria. It says nothing about the things that are going on under ISIS control. We have this world that is in desperate need of Jesus Christ. Desperate need. Because the answer is not growing more food. The answer is not taking all this stuff to them because you know what happens. It's the wickedness in the heart of men that perpetuates these events. Not, And the only cure for the wickedness in the heart of man is Jesus Christ being in the heart of man. And, and God's calling us to be a, a part. Now he may not call us like he did this man to... Somalia or Bosnia or Rwanda or the Sudan. But he's definitely calling us to cross the street. He's definitely calling us to reach out to our neighbor, our friends at school, the people that we work with. Because they have that same heart. And the only cure for a wicked heart is Jesus. That's the only cure. And in light of where we're, what we're looking at in the book of Hebrews and what we've been studying in the book of Hebrews, we want to be energized to be able to be those kind of people, right? To be risk takers. Because, guys, before we can go to Bosnia or Somalia, we've got to cross the street. Before we can really make a difference in a lot of this stuff, we've got to put ourselves out in the fight. And there's opportunity here at Calvary Chapel Buell for you to do that. Every single day, you can stand on a corner in Twin Falls. And you can try to share the gospel with people on their way into Planned Parenthood. Might cost you something, though. And that's the challenge in Hebrews 10.34 to us. Are we willing? There's other opportunity. Both uh, elementary schools, we have Good News Club going into elementary schools. They go in for roughly, I think the whole run is roughly three hours. It's an hour and a half. You start at three? What time do you get home? Really? Oh, good. It's an hour and a half. It's even better. An hour and a half at the Good News Club. And when you guys, you guys get an opportunity to go and share the gospel with kids in Buell and Filer. But if you do it, 
it might cost you something. Then we have to be asking ourselves, am I, am I one of the people who wants to love like these guys did in Hebrews 10.34? Because nobody's going to come take your house over it. But it might cost you time. It may cost you a little money. It may cost you even more than that. I don't know. But we have to ask ourselves if we're willing. If we're willing to allow God to do the work He wants to do in us. Or if we're too worried about what we might lose. To get involved. To be a part. Guys, that's not the only thing we got going. Opportunity to reach out to the refugee center. Make a friend with somebody from another country who, who is in a very strange place. Who has the same problem your neighbor does. Has a wicked heart and needs Jesus. And there's no end to the opportunities that are out there. So, to encourage us to do that. The writer of Hebrews gives us Hebrews 11. The hall of faith. The hall of faith which teaches us what faith knows and what faith hopes for. And it gives us a a list, a litany of men and women before us who discovered that what they had was more precious What they had in Christ was more precious than what they could ever lose. And they did great things in the name of Jesus. And this is the call I believe God has for us. Let's look at it together. Hebrews 11. See, we haven't even done one verse yet. You thought, how in the world is he going to do three? (laughs) Hebrews 11, 1 through 3. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Now many of you probably have something in your Bible that says something different. Whenever we see that. It's not that some, some translation got it right or some translation got it wrong. What it means is, it's tough. You ever had somebody tell you, uh, or you hear maybe a, a couple of Mexican guys telling a joke, and you ask them, oh, it's so funny. You're pretty sure they're talking about you? Maybe they say, you know, don't translate. And a few times I've said, oh, come on, tell me anyway. And they tell me, and then I say, yeah, uh, that don't make any sense. Sometimes there are difficult concepts when it comes to translation, and we're going to work our way through that. But before we do, let's talk about this idea of our enduring possession, of a more abiding one, of the treasure that's in Jesus Christ, and all the truths we've seen so far working our way through the book. We've seen that Jesus Christ gave himself for all as a final sacrifice for our sin. Hebrews 9.14 says, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, 
purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. We see that Jesus Christ has has, uh, perfected us for all time by a single offering. In Hebrews 10.14 it says, For by a single offering He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. The treasure in Jesus Christ. We see that He's given us a clean conscience by His own blood. In Hebrews 10.22 it says, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. In Jesus Christ we see that we have a sympathetic high priest before God who stands between God and us. In Hebrews 4.14 it says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who uh, in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace in time of need. We have a Savior who is interceding for us every single day in heaven. And who will be interceding for us on that day when we arrive in heaven. In Hebrews 7.25 it says, Consequently, He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for us. It's His great pleasure in life. He's put His laws into our minds, written them on our hearts, and is being our God. It says in Hebrews 8.10, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Jesus Christ also says, I will remember your sins no more. They don't keep coming up. It says in Hebrews 8.12, I will be merciful toward their iniquity, and I will remember their sins no more. And then he promises us, I will never leave you or forsake you. In Hebrews 13.5 and 6, it says, Keep your life free from the love of money. And be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Do you get what he's saying? He's saying, learn to be content with what you have and not lusting after that which you don't, because the treasure you have in Jesus Christ is better than the treasure you're hoping to get in this world. The treasure with Jesus is more abiding, it lasts longer, it doesn't wear out, and it doesn't give up on you. Are you thankful for that? Have you ever had somebody give up on you? Come on, you ever felt that way? Like, man, they just... I thought they were with me. I thought it was you and me till the wheels fall off. We're going to go all the way to the end. And then, only to find out that there was a limit to how much of you they could take. Or how many of your failures 
How many of your stumblings? Is there anybody who doesn't stumble? What about, is there anybody who doesn't struggle? Is there anybody who's perfect? So we, we need to know, yeah, we need to know. He's our treasure. And it's not that relationship with the person who gave up on me. It's Jesus. It's not that, per, it's not that relationship with the person who gave up on you. It's Jesus. He's greater than the husband that left or the wife that quit. He's greater than the friend that wrote you off. He's greater than all of those things. And if we're anchored to Him, when those things happen, we'll know our anchor is set in His treasure and the treasure of Him because our hearts may be heavy and we may be sad, but we don't lose our footing. Because we're holding on to Jesus. We're holding on to Him. The challenge for us in Hebrews 11 is to hold on to Him. What else have we been exhorted to? We've been exhorted not to drift. You remember? Don't drift. Set your anchor in Christ. We've been exhorted not to become dull. Because when we become dull of hearing, what's next? We become dull of hearing. The next thing is we doubt God. And then the last part of that, we despise Him. We go from drifting to dullness to doubting to despising. So he says, don't do that. Anchor to Christ. Because if your anchor's in something else, you're constantly going to be looking at God saying, God, why'd you let that happen? I really love this. Why'd you let that happen? I really love that. And all the while, when that's in our hearts, it's, it's God saying, look, you have an idol before me. And it can be a good thing. It just needs, the priority needs to change. It needs to switch places with that which is so much more valuable than anything else. Are we willing to love Christ radically no matter what it's going to cost us? That's what the Hall of Faith is all about. Because we're going to read about our heroes from the Bible. And we're going to read that there's nothing better, naturally better about them than us. And you're going to hear a phrase over and over and over again through this chapter. Who by faith. Who by faith. Who by faith. We're able to stare into the mouth of lions and sing a hymn. While the lions tore them apart. Eventually they said, you know, we got to stop killing Christians like this. Because every time we do it, more people get saved in the audience watching how they die. That's still true today. Because I think, I don't think God's calling us to a different set of standards. I think He still wants that kind of radical love expressed in our life. How did Jesus say, They'll know you, belong to me? How you love each other. How you love each other. You know that Jesus said, If you can't love your brother who you can see, How are you going to love me who you can't? How are you going to...
be able to. So the challenge to us is to learn how to love each other. To learn how to, wait a minute, if I love my brother, is it going to cost me something? Oh, come on, what if they don't treat me right? What if they treat me wrong? What if they hurt my feelings? What if they, I don't care, you put it in the game. What if they steal this or stole that or broke this or broke that? The litany of things we can put in there as excuses, does it absolve us of the responsibility to love each other? So if you, relationships are hard. Anybody not know that? What do you think we got a couple steady for? Because relationships are easy and everybody's just got it all figured out. Nobody ever needs help, do they? Nobody ever needs encouragement. So we have to realize, man, those are things that God wants us to be able to express. So we want to understand, we, He's calling us to leave the fleeting pleasures of sin for the excellency of living our life out loud in the love of God. Just leave the fleeting pleasures of sin. You know, sometimes it feels good to give excuses about why you've done something wrong to somebody. I'd done that before. You know, I got enough people who love me, they'll just agree with me. This will come as a shock to you guys, but not to Kathy. I'm wrong sometimes. (laughs) I'm wrong. And sometimes I enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin as I build up for me a group of people who agree with me. Yeah? Rather than humbling myself and going to my brother or sister or whomever I offended and just letting it go and loving my brother. You know what? It's going to cost me something. It's going to cost me something, but it's not going to cost me my house. Probably not going to cost me one of my kids. But there will be a price. And as long as there's a price that keeps us out of the reality of loving God's people like God calls us to, then in the church people will say, where's all this love Jesus talks about? And it's on me. And it's on you. It's on us. We're the ones who have to fix it. Who have to find a way. Who have to figure it out. Who have to figure out how to be able to express those very important things. Listen to what Paul wrote in Colossians because I think it's important for us to see. Colossians 1, 4 and 5. Listen to what he said. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for the saints. See, they go together. They go together. The hall of faith. These guys were having incredible faith doesn't mean we never mess up anymore, does it? But look, it's an expression of love when we pursue peace with one another. It's, it's an expression of love when we decide, you know what? I'm going to look past your failures and I, I want to see, see the you God sees. Do you guys know there are people that it's hard to love? 
Yeah. <laughs> there are people who are hard to love. But does that but but does that but does that absolve us from that? If it's a difficulty, if it's a struggle, oh, wait a minute, it might cost you something. As long as there's a price between you and being and doing what God wants you to do, then you're not going to be willing to cross the street, stand on the corner, or be going out and ministering to to kids or neighbors or whomever, because that'll cost you something. And if we can't learn to express it here where it's easy, trust me, this is easier than the corner at Planned Parenthood. Right here, you are fighting with somebody on that side of the church. It's easier for you two to get along than it is for you to stand on that corner. So do us all a favor. And before we go out there, let's cross the aisle. Let's love each other like Jesus said we're supposed to. That. That's me, you, us. We've got to be able to express that love. Listen to why. Verse 5. 1 Colossians 4 and 5. Verse 5. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Why were they able to love the saints? Because their treasure was where? Heaven. Their treasure was who? Jesus. So it wasn't about them. It wasn't about that. It wasn't about somebody else. What was it about? Jesus, I, I want to praise Jesus. I want to make Jesus proud of me. And Jesus is proud of me when I love my neighbor. Jesus is proud of me when I love my brother. Jesus is proud of me when I, when I learn to dwell at peace with my, with, with, with my friends and with my family. When I'm a peacemaker. Man, Jesus is pleased by that. It says, why were they able? Because their hope was in heaven. And of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, which is the gospel. Oh, you got all this from the word of God. Good job, guys. And that's what Paul's exhorting them to. Now, when we look at Hebrews 11.1, 1, it's, it's laying out for us this idea. What faith knows and hopes for. And what, what that needs to be, what we want that to be in our lives, that we can take from this and, and, and glean from it the understanding. So when we look at the Hall of Faith and all the superstars we're going to see next week, we can say, wow, look at that. His treasure was Jesus Christ. And look what he did. And then look at her. Oh, her treasure was Jesus Christ. Look what she did. And then look at them. Oh, their treasure. You, you start to understand that their hope was in heaven, and that compelled them to move on. In Hebrews 11, verse 1, it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So we have this idea of assurance and conviction. But remember, I told you this is a difficult word. Difficult word. New King James says this, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now maybe that's a little more familiar to us. So we want to understand, what is it? What are we looking for? There are three things in Hebrews 1, 2, and 3 in this introduction that we're being called, that, that summarize um, who we are and what we need in our relationship with Jesus Christ. The first one is substance. 
That word substance means to stand under or support. It's the foundation. The substance, the foundation of things hoped for. The thing that holds us up. The second word is the word evidence. Evidence is, falls in line, the understanding falls in line of proof. Uh, conviction, demonstration, evidence. And I don't want to confuse you, but the difference between the translations is when one takes the Greek grammar as objective and the other takes the Greek grammar as subjective. If you see the Greek grammar uh, as objective, the word is evidence. If you see it as subjective, the word is conviction. Uh, They're all trying to say the same thing. They're just trying to figure out the the concept the the context laid out there but there's there's the first two words substance foundation evidence the proof substance foundation evidence the proof and the third word witness these three things are wrapped up in this idea of what faith knows and what faith hopes for the third word is there in verse 2. For by it the people of old receive their commendation. In the ESV, they receive their testimony. They receive their witness. The word is matreu. It's the, it's the witness, the power through which we're able to go. So if we want to cross the street, love our neighbor, love our brother, we want all these things to be expressed through our lives to one another, then we need to understand how faith is the catalyst that gives us our foundation, our evidence, and our witness. So that we can see in the examples of the guys we're going to look at next week, that can be me. That can be us. That's a, that's a difference we can make in our world. And everybody, guys, everybody, I don't care what is coming out of their lips, everybody wants to see something that changes our reality. Everybody wants to be part of a bigger story. Everybody wants to... Few people read a book and put themselves in as the, you know, guy taking care of his garden in the back somewhere. Most of us are like, oh, I want to be that hero. I want to be the guy rescuing the damsel in distress. Or I want to be the girl who took that guy out or whatever girls do. I don't know. I never had any, so I speak boy pretty good. I don't speak girl so well. But you provide the illustration for yourself, so so that that will work out for you. So we have these three things, substance, evidence, and our witness. So first, let's look at evidence. It's one of the more difficult ones for us to grapple with. We'll start with that word, which is the second one there in, in verse 1. And the way we're going to define it, the way that we're going to see it, it says, Now faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things, what's the word? Not seen. Now, now we look at verse 3, because verse 3 is going to expound on that. Verse 3 is going to expound on it. Look what verse, verse 3 says. For by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Now keep in mind, verse 1, I want you to get confused. It's the evidence of things not seen. And then in verse 3, you have the phrase that isn't translated, gar, which is like because or for, by faith, 
we believe, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So that what was seen is not made out of things which are visible. How was the world created? Look, we don't have to get into any, you, you guys can be all over the, the, the landscape on this. Here's the part we can't get over. God spoke it and it happened. God spoke it. Can you see that? God spoke it. None of us were there. God spoke it. What is made was made up by the power of God's words. By the word of God. In the word of God, he created everything. So we understand that the worlds were framed by God's word. We understand the worlds were framed by God's word. Look at Romans 1.20, just for a minute. I just want you to, to see this tie in. It says, For His invisible attributes, speaking of God, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So what is it saying? God's eternal power and divine nature are seen in the things that are made. What, what did we read earlier? We said that it's the evidence, right? In, in verse 1, it's the evidence of things not seen. The evidence of things not seen. We, we can't put our finger on it, but it's the evidence of that. And what is the things that aren't seen? God's eternal uh, power and divine nature, which are inside the things that are created that we can't see. So God's invisible attributes can be understood. They can be understood by looking at the things which God made. The evidence of things not seen. So in these scriptures we understand the invisible attributes of God by what has been made. And we understand the invisible word of God behind creation by faith. Romans 1.20 seems to say that the evidence that God made the world is the things uh, made point to a maker. What do I mean? When I look at things, there are things I see in this world that show me or express to me beauty, majesty, design, maker. All of those things are invisible attributes. By faith, you see them. You see them when you look around your world. You see them. They're the evidence of the fingerprints of God everywhere you look. The evidence of things not seen. God's eternal attributes. His divine power. His divine nature. Who He is. I see it in the, in the order of creation. That everything exists for a purpose. Everything has a reason for being. Now I may not understand it all. I'm not a big fan of bees. You guys a big fan of bees? Ah, you want to not be a big fan of bees? I'll take you for a ride on a motorcycle. You ever been hit with a bee in the forehead at 70? Yeah, it's like getting shot. Boom! Bug guts everywhere. Splattered all over you. But bees have a purpose, don't they? 
And if there's no B's, there's no S. That's crazy. That's crazy. But we see in all things this order. It's the evidence of things not seen. Beauty, design. How about this one? Irreducible complexity. When I was a kid, they used to tell us about the simple cell. You guys remember that? Here's a simple cell, which is so complex, I can't even pass that class. <laughs> this is a simple lid to a simple monster. I understand how this works. I just put it on, close it, boom, it's over. Simple cell? How is that thing alive? What feeds it? Some of them things have machines inside of them that just run constantly. On what? What powers them? You ever think of your own body? You're a machine made out of meat that can run on donuts. <laughs> you can feed yourself nothing but donuts for the rest of your life, and it may not be great, but you'll live. We can't make a car that runs on anything but gas or, or diesel. We can't figure out how to make one run on something else. Somehow your body does okay. Irreducible complexity. All of these things speak. They're the fingerprints of God. It's the work of the maker. In the things that have been made. So Hebrews 11.3 seems to tell us that the evidence that Evidence that God made the world is faith. It's our faith. Faith is a spiritual seeing of the fingerprints of God on the things that God has made. My seeing is evidence that it's there. So when I see it, now the funny thing is, two people can look at the same thing and only one sees it. One is seeing, and according to the Bible, the other is suppressing. We can see it. We see the same things. But we just decide to interpret it differently. We decide to interpret it in another way altogether. We we see this, but we we can't have it. We don't see the same thing. We look at the same fingerprints. One sees, one suppresses. Those who see the evidence have the witness or testimony in themselves. The testimony is, remember the three things? The three things we're looking at? The substance, a real thing, the evidence, and the witness. They have the witness within them, and the witness within them shows us, it helps us see the reality of, of what's happening, what's going on, what is what it is in the fingerprints that we can see. Now, if somebody doesn't have that, they don't understand what they're looking at. They suppress. They don't want to see. They don't want to know. You guys remember those those pictures that come out? Gosh, been a while. Where they just look like a blob and you stare at a dot? Oh, everybody knows what they are. What do you call them? Magic eye. Magic eye. So there's this big blob of something and you stare at the dot. And then after a couple of minutes you walk around and all you can see is a dot everywhere. But there are gifted individuals who stare at that and a 3D picture pops out of the blob, right? Some people see it. Some people don't. But let me ask you this. Is it there? Yes. 
What's the evidence that it's there? You saw it. It's the evidence of things not seen. You can see it. If me and Joe were looking at one of those magic eyes and Joe says, Oh, Dad, there's a, there's a mountain. And I can't see the mountain. Did it mean the mountain's not there? And how does Joe know the mountain's there? He's seen it. Evidence of things not seen. The fingerprints of God in the things which are made. That we see those things around us. Faith is not just a responding act of the soul. It's also a grasping or perceiving or understanding act. It's a, it's a spiritual act that sees the fingerprints of God. It's something that God's Holy Spirit is working out within us. So this doesn't mean you believe them into being. When we looked at the magic eye, it wasn't, the picture wasn't just whatever you thought, right? Because somebody could lie and say, oh, it's a rabbit. And then you look at it and go, no, I ain't no rabbit. It didn't change, right? For different people, it was whatever the picture was. It, was whatever the, it wasn't the faith that made it. That's wishful thinking. It's not the power of a positive mind. That's not authentic faith. Real faith is based on real truth. It looks deeply at the world that God put together. Looks through it. And the image pops out of God. In the things that God has made. And we see it. The evidence of God in things not seen. Here's what the Lord would declare in Psalm 19 verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims His handiwork. That's the evidence. The evidence... Of things not seen. But what, let's go back to substance. What's a substance? Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. The foundation. The things that we can put our hooks into. The thing that, that we are standing on. That which supports us. That which holds us up. So what he's saying is it's the essential or basic structure or nature of an entity. The, the actual nature this word comes up other times. The word for evidence, one time in the Bible. You just looked at it. The one for substance, it comes up a, a, another, a, a number of places. And here's what we want to understand of it. When we look at it, when we see it, we want to know that it is the exact nature of something else. That's what that word substance means. The exact nature. And it is spoken in a way that's looking forward. It's future looking. It's looking ahead. The substance of things hoped for. Here's the other place we see the same word used. Speaking of Jesus in Hebrews 1.3. He is the radiance of the glory of God. The exact imprint of his nature. That's the word substance. He's the substance of God. Faith is a substance. It's tangible. It's real. It's a taste it's a little piece. It's a little something you get now promising more in the future. It's a little taste of something now promising more in the future. It is... Well, it falls along the lines of what the Scripture says. You remember what the Scripture says? Taste and see that the Lord is good. 
The substance of things hoped for means that when we have faith in the promises of God, in those things that are still out there one day, that, that we don't stay in the ground when we die, that the Lord takes home, that we won't face judgment, that Jesus Christ is going to intercede for us. All those promises that we hold on to, the faith in those promises leaves behind with us a real substance, joy, peace. It leaves with us something tangible that's a little piece of the exact nature. Of the exact substance. So I have this little joy now, but when I see Jesus Christ, that little joy is going to become what? Big joy, right? Little joy now, big joy then. So faith is that substance. It's that taste. It's the honey. It's the peace we get now that we can hold on to. The evidence is the fingerprints of God that we see. The imprint of God that comes popping out of creation. So when we look at this section of scripture, we see that this faith is like a spiritual tasting of what God has promised. So that we feel, we feel this deep and substantial assurance in the things that God has promised us. That which we hope for. And when we feel these things, when we feel that real substance, when we see those fingerprints of God, when our faith is in Jesus Christ in that way, we are able to be His witnesses. We're able to be His witnesses. We're able to put ourselves now inside Hebrews 11. See ourselves in those stories. Because we have the real tangible substance of the promises of God. The fingerprints of God that we see in the universe. That's our evidence. We see God's fingerprints all around us. So then we know that that is what Faith knows. Faith knows there's fingerprints of God everywhere. Faith hopes in all the promises of God they're going to come true. Faith knows the fingerprints of God is everywhere. Faith hopes all those promises of God are going to be true. And when we enter into that reality... You're able to love your neighbor, even if they're hard to love. Because your faith isn't in him. Right? And your faith's not in me. And your faith's not even in this building. Your faith is in God. Your hope is in Jesus Christ. And that becomes the springboard from which you are able to joyfully suffer the plundering of your goods. Because you have a better treasure. It's not faith in each other. It's not faith for faith's sake. It's not just conjuring up some willpower. It is faith in Jesus Christ. Who is our greatest treasure so the challenge for us is this taste and see for the lord is good the lord is good psalm 34 8 blessed is the man 
Oh, how happy is a man who takes his refuge in him. Not in something else. In Jesus Christ. That is what faith knows. That is what faith hopes for. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just thank you for the opportunity we have to open your word and to study. God, we pray that we're able to grapple with the concept to understand that faith is a substance. It's a down payment of what we receive in the accomplishment of the promise that Jesus gives. Now we have a taste of the Holy Spirit. Then we'll have Him completely. Now we have a a taste of the reality of joy. Then it will be complete. It's a substance of the things we hope for. It's tangible. And it's the evidence of things I can't see, but the picture of God comes popping out of it when I look at it. And when God is, when, when that is my faith and God is my treasure, when Jesus Christ is that which I hold on and elevate, then I want to tell people, I want to love people, I want to express who He is because He is that greatest treasure for me. And then when I look at guys through the Scripture, when we look at Enoch, when we look at, when we look at Abraham, when we look at Moses, when we look at David, and we look at all these incredible, great, godly men, only thing that separates us and them is that they had their greatest treasure in heaven. Their faith in God. The substance, the down payment of the things they hope for. The evidence, the fingerprints of God all around them. God, I pray that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear. That we recognize, God, that you are on the move that you have a purpose and a plan you want to work out in and through us, that you, God, want to make all things new. So, Lord, I pray that we might come to know you in this way, that we might recognize you as that treasure that we need above all other things, so that we can hold fast, so that we can draw near, so that we can express, God, all that you have for us. That is real faith. God, I pray that you be glorified in this place as we seek to honor you in Jesus' name. Amen.